All right. So now, um, if you want to go to newhope.in, you can find the sermon notes there. And Pastor Adam's going to come bring a great word to us. morning. So good to be with you in the house today. I want to welcome everyone worshiping with us online as well. Uh, We're on part two of our series called, uh, goodness, what's it called? Come Forth. That's what it's called. Come Forth. Uh, We're looking at the story of Lazarus and understanding uh, some tools we can pull out of that story of Lazarus to help us live our life today. Um, I believe that, that the story of Lazarus is kind of like a type it shows us what the work of Jesus is all about. So if, we look at happen, if, we, if we're looking at what happened in the life of, well, the death and resurrection of Lazarus, we can see the work of Jesus at play. See, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and he got really, really sick, and Jesus could have gone and healed Lazarus like he did most people. He healed them. But instead, to use my dad's language last week, he dilly-dallied. <laughs> he chose not to go. And... and uh, Jesus said of the sickness and of the death, he said, he said John eleven four. he said, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And I read that and I think like, what? How, how is it for God's glory that somebody gets sick and dies? How is that for God's, God's glory? And why would Jesus say such a thing? I think this is how the resurrection of Lazarus, there, we see a picture of how God wants the church to function. And, and looking at this story, we're going to discover the work that God has for, I believe, the church, and certainly this church, and that is to help lost people be found, found people be free, and free people empowered to do whatever it is that God's called them to do. Last week, my dad, my dad shared about lost people found. Jesus called Lazarus, and he came out of the tomb. He came out of the tomb. He was, that, that could be a picture for us of, of our salvation. We were dead spiritually, and we came out of our spiritual tomb by receiving Jesus as our Savior. We come alive like Lazarus did. By the way, my dad, um, you're gonna, not going to see him for probably a couple weeks. He actually just had surgery last Friday. It was a planned surgery. Uh, he had some vertebra in his neck that were causing some problems, and he went in to uh, get that adjusted, uh, corrected, fixed, worked up. Uh, and he, he has, my parents have everything they need. They're fine. Uh, they love you, and my dad is recovering. He's recovering, but he's not here today, and that's why. I appreciate your prayers on that. So last week was, was lost people found. This week is found people free. And we're going to see found people get free in this story of Lazarus. Uh, found people being free, I think it means this. When, when we're free, when found people are free, it means we are in the state that Jesus intends for us. It means we're growing Found people free means growing. It means people are not under addictions. We're free from condemnation, regularly feeling conviction. There's a difference. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. The devil brings condemnation. We're free from condemnation. 
we, uh, we are free of excessive consumer debt. We're living victoriously over sin. We're living victoriously over temptation and all of the tactics of Satan. All those things are real. And, 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 lost, and, and found people being free means we're free of all that. I want to see believers free. I want to see you walking in freedom. My wife and I have two kids, ages seven and eight, and every day it seems like we're learning something new about parenting. Uh, and that, that started at the very beginning. Like, when my, when, when my first was born, Caleb was born, like, I had, I had like, studied diapers <laughs> without a child in them. I, like, we had some, like, ready, and I was like, okay, so this goes here, because I had never done it before, so I was trying to get a grip of it all. And... Uh, we were in the hospital for what a couple days or something, and then and then they like handed us the kid. They're like, "Go ahead." Like there's no manual. There's no like, "Hey, these five things you got to do. This is the most important thing you got to remember." It was like, "Your kid, figure it out." I was like, "I'm a parent, but just because I'm a parent doesn't mean I know what I'm doing. I'm still figuring it out. I have some because of the Bible and and." Witnesses before me, I, I have an idea, I have some, something to go off of, but just because I'm a parent, right then did not immediately mean I knew anything. The same goes for our spiritual life. Here's what I mean. Just because you're saved, it doesn't mean you're free. Like, like, like saved is a thing that happens between you and God. Like Jesus saves you, and, and you are saved, but it doesn't mean you're, you're free. It doesn't mean that. I want us to look at how Lazarus came alive, okay? We're gonna, that's our model here. He was lost. He was dead. Now he's found. And by the power of the voice of Jesus, Lazarus came alive, right? That was last week. We talked about that. Lazarus, come forth. And let's look at how, the quality. How did Lazarus come forth? John eleven forty three 43 says, he cried with Carmen's voice. I'm sorry, not Carmen's voice. <laughs> If you're, if you're younger than 40, you might not get that. It's okay. <laughs> he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. They had wrapped him up because he was dead. He'd been dead, dead four days. He was, he was dead. Why four days? There was a custom in Jewish uh, it was just a Jewish tradition that the spirit left the body after three days. Jesus waited a fourth, just to make sure everyone knew what was happening. There was no, like there wasn't still the spirit there. Hey, he's dead. He's dead. Hunks of flesh were falling off of him. He was dead. He is dead. That word, the strips of linen, when it's used in the singular, it's often translated bandage. But when it's used in plural, so imagine an ace bandage, you're going to wrap an arm. But when there's a lot of them, it's grave clothes. Because they would wrap, wrap, wrap up a dead body like, like a mummy. They would wrap him up. And here comes Lazarus. Like, he, he wasn't walking. He was, he was stumbled up. See, just because he was, he was alive didn't mean he was free. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're free. Just like that. He was alive, but frankly, a little bit useless. What's he going to do? He can't even talk. He's useless. 
He's alive, praise the Lord, but what good is he? He's bound up. The call of God made a cadaver, a living, breathing human being again. But the voice of the Lord alone, by God's design, I'm not limiting God's power, by God's design, the voice of the Lord alone did not completely free Lazarus. He was not able to be empowered to do great ministry. He couldn't do it. He can't do anything. He needs to get free. He had to get the grave clothes off. Here's the thing. The church today is filled with saved saints of God who still have addictions, who still have problems. John wrote in Revelation, he will, speaking of Jesus, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is in the New Jerusalem. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's when Jerusalem comes back down to earth. That's, a, that's the last, the, that's the very end of Revelation. In the meantime, though, in this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says. In this world, you're going to have death, mourning, crying, and pain. We're going to have trouble. Satan is real, and he is always at work. And I hear some people say, oh, oh yeah, Satan's real, but you know, he can't attack a Christian. Christians, Christians have the power of God in them. And so because they have the power of God, Satan cannot attack. Oh, I beg to differ. The New Testament is packed with warnings of Satan's attack. Written to Christians. It wasn't written to non-Christians. It was, hey, Christian, be aware. First Peter says, Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Why, why do Christians need to be alert and of sober mind? Because the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It says, your, your enemy. Christians have an enemy. Satan wants to attack. Ephesians tells Christians that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. Why would, why would Paul bother telling Christians that if they, if they are immune to attacks of Satan? Satan absolutely can attack uh, believers. Even, and being attacked by Satan, being, being uh, demonized even, does not make you a bad Christian. Jesus himself was attacked by Satan more than once. It happened a few times. Being a good Christian does not prevent spiritual attack. It's kind of the other way around. It kind of guarantees it. Being a good Christian guarantees, like if you're doing something for the kingdom of God, you're a threat. So, so it more so guarantees the spiritual attack. But the difference is when you're a Christian, you have the power to stand up against the attack if you exercise it. You have the power to stand up if you exercise it, if you put on the, the armor of God. I want to talk a little bit more. I want to expose Satan a little bit. He's a poo-poo head, so I want to... He needs exposed. Here are some ways Satan works. Satan is a liar. He's a liar. He lies so much his pants are gone. Just they burned to a crisp. If you didn't get that liar, liar, pants on fire, I hope you okay. Yeah, the rest of you got it there. That's good. Jesus taught us, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. And so he's, he's always lying. And this is why no matter how old you get, how mature you get in the faith, you don't stop fighting the devil because he doesn't stop lying. So you have to, you have to keep fighting. 
Christians who are saved have to deal with these lives. Uh, lives that say, I'm a loser. I'm ugly. I'm a mistake. I, I can't be forgiven. That's, that's a lie. That's a lie. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Uh, so you can be forgiven. I'm not, I'm not good enough. That's a lie. I can't do anything right. That was a lie. These lies from Satan may have sounded like somebody else said them first. Maybe it was something that got lodged in your heart by a father or a mother or an aunt or uncle or a teacher or mean kids at school. There's 80-year-olds still walking around with some lies from something that happened in second grade or younger. I want you to be free from that. Lies lead to other lies, almost strongholds that we build, start to build our life upon, things like I'm not safe. I'm not safe, so I have to create safeness. Or I, I can't trust. I can't trust because I was betrayed before, so, so I don't trust anyone, nor God. I don't trust God either. I can't trust God. I, I, or this lie, this is a lie. I have to be tough. You don't have to be tough. Jesus is tough enough for me. He goes in front of me. I walk behind him. I don't have to be the tough one. Or I'm unlovable. I'm insignificant. I'm not enough. I can't do it. All of these lies get lodged because of a hurt in our past. Satan will attack us and he speaks to us and his voice is against you. His voice upsets you. It condemns you. It discourages you. It hinders you. It frustrates you. It confuses you. And it troubles you. The voice of Satan will keep you doubting that the cross was actually enough. Oh, let me tell you, the cross is enough. The cross is, is enough. Jesus became the curse. The curse that was upon us went on him on the cross. And he didn't stay dead. He paid, the, he paid for that curse and he came back to life, which conquered it. The cross is enough. The voice of Satan will remind you of the hurt that others caused you, making it so difficult for you to forgive, which is not a recommendation. It's a requirement. It's a command. Like, forgive. You, you've got to. But Satan will do whatever he can to just make that really, really hard. You've got to forgive. I just read the verse a moment ago, 1 Peter 5.8. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But watch the next verse. This one's about, the one I just read is about spiritual attack, how the devil wants to attack you. But there's a connection between spiritual attack and community. Verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Here's the connection to community. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Here's the next big point for today. We go to Jesus for salvation. We go to the church for freedom. This sounds a little bit awkward. Let me unpack it, okay? Don't walk out yet. Christians can walk in total freedom if they exercise the faith, if they exercise the tools, if they turn the keys that God gives us. Christians can walk in complete freedom, but most of us don't. We just don't. We walk around in grave clothes. Maybe, maybe we got our arms a little bit loose, or you got a handout, and we can, you know, I can do some things, but we're limited. We're hindered. Or, you know, I, I could walk. You know, I'm doing okay. 
but there's some grave clothes still on. There's a whole lot more you can do when you're free. That's how Lazarus was. He was bound up. He was saved, but he was still bound up. And watch what, watch what happens. John eleven forty four. Jesus said to them, take off those grave clothes and let him go. Jesus did not go and let him go. He told the believers to go let him go. Church, free him. The voice of Jesus made Lazarus come alive. Do you think the voice of Jesus was powerful enough to make all the grave clothes fall off? Sure. He could have said, Lazarus, come forth, and you strips of linen fall. He didn't. I think he's showing us something. He said, Lazarus, come forth, and the voice of Jesus saved him. And then the church was engaged to carry out the work of Jesus. Like, like we get to carry it out. That's why I'm saying we go to Jesus for salvation, but we go to the church for freedom and healing. Again, before anybody walks out, let me explain what I mean. I'm trying to establish here a healthy, uh, not eschatology, ecclesiology. I completely and totally agree with this because it's in the Bible and I believe this. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's through Jesus Christ. We are saved by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's the only way. Okay? And, and you're, you're, like you're saved. There's, there's, you don't need Jesus plus anything to be saved. But you need all of what Jesus did to experience all that Jesus has for you. See, some of us believe that salvation comes through Jesus and we stopped right there. Like, yep, all I need is what Jesus did on the cross. Yep. <clears throat> yes, okay, that's the gospel. But, but it's not the whole of the, see, the gospel, the foundation of the gospel is Jesus' death, sinless life, death on the cross, and resurrection. That is the foundation of the gospel. Jesus did that. But the gospel is all of what Jesus did. What else did Jesus do? He died for your sins, and then he sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus did that. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want your life rooted on Jesus, you have to root your life on all that Jesus said. So Jesus said, if I don't go from here, then I won't send the comforter. I can't send the comforter. It's better for you if I go. This is what he said. It's better for you if I go. Because if I don't go, I can't send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so he sent the Holy Spirit. Why? To empower us. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This was Jesus' idea. And that's on the foundation of the work of Jesus on this earth, on the cross. What he did on the cross and, and coming back to life, that is the foundation. But he sent the Holy Spirit to empower us. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And then he inspired the Bible to reveal truth. Do you need the, the Holy Spirit to empower you? Yes. I hope we would all agree. Do you need the Bible to know truth? Yes. This was Jesus' idea. It's how he did it. It's how he put this together. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. Jesus. Jesus did this. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. 
and it teaches us to do what is right. Jesus died for your died on the cross for your sins, and then he established the church. He called the church to carry on his work. This is what he did. This was his idea. This is his work. He established the church. Now, do, do you need the Holy Spirit to empower you? Do you believe that? Yes, would be a resounding yes, I'm sure. Uh, do you believe that you need the Bible to determine truth? Yes. Do you believe you need the church to help you grow? That one's like doesn't feel as comfortable to say yes to, doesn't it? Because I, uh, I trust the Holy Spirit and I trust the Bible, but I'm not sure I trust you, right? Like, like there's people involved. There's... Uh, there's, there's Imperfect people. None of us are perfect. Holy Spirit's God. The Bible is inerrant. But the church certainly is not inerrant. Look at us. I mean, we're, we're filled with errors. We're, we're, we're prone to attack of, of, of Satan. But this is how Jesus wanted to do it. This was his plan to establish a church of people that he knew wasn't going to be perfect. That's what he did. He established his called out people of God, the church, to carry out his work. That's what Jesus did. If you believe that the Holy Spirit empowers us, and if you believe that we need the Bible to know truth, then you've got to believe that the church is valuable and a necessary component of your life. The church, people, God's transformed people, is necessary for us to grow. There's, there's an importance of the church. Other people matter to your spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit matters to your spiritual growth. The Bible matters to your spiritual growth. And other people, the church, matters to your spiritual growth. When Jesus was on the earth, he focused greatly on sharing the kingdom with people. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out the 72. And the passage kind of starts out with Jesus sending people out. We are sent to carry out God's work. Uh, Luke 10, 3 says, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. So, so we're sent to carry out the work of Jesus. And then Jesus goes on for 17 verses explaining to the disciples how to help people get free. That's what he does. 17 verses describing how to help people get free. And then the passage concludes like this. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus established the church, the called out people of God, to help bring freedom to other people of God. There's lost people that are found, and then those found people need to get free. And the church has an important job of helping that happen. Jesus said he would build his church. Uh, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, On this rock, on the revelation that I'm the Messiah, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not be strong enough to destroy it. So, so this is what, Jesus says something then amazing about the ecclesia. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. 
And what you unlock on earth will be unlocked in heaven. What's that mean? Seems pretty plain. The church is a big deal to Jesus. The people of God is a very big deal to Jesus. There's a partnership that happens when when the, the church gets together. Listen, all three matter. The Holy Spirit matters. The Bible matters. The church matters. You can't have one and leave out the others and still be balanced. If, if, if you leave out one of the... Like, those three things are things that Jesus said he wanted to do. Those were Jesus' Jesus's plans. So we keep Jesus in the center. We're going to see those three things. The Holy Spirit that he sent, the Bible he inspired, and the church that he created and instituted. Those are in the scope of keeping Jesus at the center. The canonized version of the Bible is supernatural, and so is the church. There is something supernatural about this. It's not that like, like individuals have, have like a power that nobody else has. It's not like, like you, come to, you come to a person for healing because you can't go to Jesus. No. But when there's two or three that are gathered, there's power. It's not that I have the power, but when two or three are there... The power shows up. The power shows up. This is not the doctrine of man. It's actually the opposite. If you aren't balanced, if you don't have all three, then, you be, then you're, we're talking about the doctrine of man. We, we need the Holy Spirit, we need the Bible, we need the church. All three of those together are how we can accomplish the, the mission of God. If you have the Holy Spirit and the church, but no Bible to set your standard, you get goofy doctrine. You get really goofy stuff. Goofy ideas come out there. Um, they, they find a verse in the Bible. Oh, this means we need the church and the gifts of the of, of I'm sorry, the Bible to 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 set the standard. If you have the Bible and the church, but no Holy Spirit, you have legalistic doctrine. Both goofy doctrine and legalistic doctrine are I, I would call them doctrine of man. If you have the Holy Spirit in the Bible, but you isolate yourself from a church. You'll be hurting. Without the gifts of discernment, you'll become your own God and create your own doctrine. Nobody ever thought of this doctrine. You create your own if you don't have the church. The Bible, you don't even get to hold a Bible in your hands if it's not for the church. How'd you get it? The church translated it to English. That's how you got it. There's been, there's been people for generations trying to destroy the Bible. Who preserved it? It wasn't you. It was the church before us. The church passed down a faith. They passed down. The church has an important role here. Without the church, you can only operate with your gifts, which are great. I'm so glad you have your spiritual gifts. God gave each of us spiritual gifts. But only Jesus had them all. None of us are him. So without the church, you only have your gifts. You're, you're going to be incomplete. You, like, like, like you need other, other gifts. The church does evangelism. The church carries the Bible to the next generation and introduces people to the Holy Spirit. I'm starting to realize that the church is incredibly essential to my spiritual growth. And it's incredibly essential to your spiritual gift, growth as well. I'm not even necessarily saying like, like this church. I'm saying other people. Other people. I think it's important for you to be in a church and be there next week. And 
Be there the week after that and be committed. If God calls you to a church, he doesn't call you out of one. I don't ever think God calls somebody out of a church. He calls people to another one sometimes, but he never calls someone just out. Be committed. One of the things that the church is called to do, it's one of the most primary things that the church is called to do, is to help people get free. Remember, freedom is living like God wants us to live. Free of the bondage, free of addictions, uh, living victorious over sin. Scripture tells us that the church people have this important role to help other people get free. Hebrews tells us, let us consider how we can stir one another up. Let us help one another do good works. It's impossible to complete that without the church. Like You need other people, other believers to obey that scripture. Galatians says, carry each other's burdens. Impossible to do without the church. Okay, I got another one. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Yes. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to Jesus, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Right. We get forgiveness of sins when we confess to Jesus. But according to this verse, can you put that back up? Uh, James 5.16. 6, according to that, how do we get healing? We confess to each other. That's why I say we go to Jesus for salvation, but we go to the church for for freedom, for healing. It's a big deal. Somehow, our healing is connected to other people. We know it's not possible without the working of the Holy Spirit. And again, it's not that 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 the power is in a person, but when two or three gather, there's power. Power's there. There's a lot of different types of healing. There's, there's healing of our bodies. That's possible. Jesus did, did healing then and he does it now. There's healings of our, of our soul. Our, our mind can be healed. Our emotions can be healed. Let me say this. Your, your current situation, your current present life, your present day, your, the decisions you make, they're affected by your past. Almost definitely. They're affected by your past. All the decisions that you... We can only make decisions with the information we have in our mind. And for some of us, the information we have in our mind is a whole bunch of hurt, a whole bunch of rejection, a whole bunch of pain. And it's affecting our everyday. It's affecting the decisions we're making. You may not even realize it, but are you willing to allow Jesus a chance to heal it? How Jesus wants to heal it. He said it pretty clearly. He wants to heal it through his people. For healing and wholeness to take place in your life, in order to deal with your hidden pain and your past hurts and wounds from yesterday, you're going to have to get some other people in your life. You just do. And with those other people, you can confess and you can confide. You're going to need some people. If you want, if you want healing, if you want to be free... I mean, if you want to stay bound up, you're saved. I mean, this is not a question of heaven. But if you want to get free to do what God called you to do, you're going to have to have have some other people in your life. You just do. You're going to need people praying for you. You're going to need people encouraging you and lifting you up and and holding you accountable, too. If you want to grow, 
You need other people. The best way for this to happen is in a relational context. Here's what I'm saying. Life change happens best in the context of relationships. We are better together. The church is better together. I feel like I've already proven that idea with scripture, but let me prove it with just logic. Can you tell me the, five, the, the, the past five sermons we've preached without looking? Probably not. I can't. I got all the notes, but I, I can't just pull it off. You can't tell me the past five sermons we've preached here without looking. But I bet you could pretty quickly give me the names of five people that shaped you into who you are today. Life change happens best in the context of relationships. You won't experience all that God has for you unless you connect with some other believers and truly start sharing your life with one another, really sharing it. Until you're willing to settle your past, you won't experience the best that God has for you. It is so easy to fall out of church. If you're like me, you want to pre-decide not to. I've already decided I'm not falling out of church. See, it's easy to fall out of church, but it's really hard to fall out of relationship. That doesn't just happen in a moment. My wife mentioned when she did some announcements that, uh, that we have groups that are up and going. The semester starts next week. So we, we have two semesters in groups. So when you sign up for a group, you're not signing up for life. You're signing up for the spring, and this fall you can sign up for the fall. Um, and if, I mean, no one makes you show up the next week, we, we invite you to come back the next week. But our groups are an amazing way to begin to have community. We have a group here. I just got to say this. I'm, I'm really tired of people saying, I had no idea that group was there. That is so frustrating. If I, if I spent 30 seconds talking about all of our groups, it would have taken the entire sermon time. All of it. I'm not going to do that. You've got to go look. We have one group that uh, uh, they meet right after a, a one of our services, uh, every so often throughout the semester, and it's basically a potluck. And people all the time say, oh, I want to go to this group. Hey, now's your chance. Now's your chance. Don't go sniffing and saying, can I join it now? Join it, join it ahead of time. Don't just follow the Pied Piper with the garlic bread. <laughs> join it now. And look at some other groups. Your next, everybody on our church has a next step, and I think you're just a couple clicks away from yours. Uh, because if you want to find what God has for you, if you want all that God has for you, it's probably in the context of community. Again, our groups aren't the only way to have community, but to really find full freedom, you need other people in your life. Let me talk just a little more. When it comes specifically to healing and freedom, I believe this church has an astounding amount of resources to deal with the health of our soul and our mind. It's it's really amazing what we have to offer. I'm just going to pitch it for a minute. This church has coaching and counseling. This is, this is one-on-one help of somebody that has some training. We're, we don't have licensed counselors. Uh, we can help you get that if you need that, but we have people that will sit down and listen and can provide biblical counsel into your life. That's one-on-one. 
We have Celebrate Recovery meets every Friday. What's the goal? It's the same thing, to bring more freedom to your life. But it's a different context. It's a support group. We have a deliverance process. This is an in-depth look, and and it's a, a powerful help to combat the enemy's work in your life. And we have freedom groups. The goal of all of these is to help you find more freedom. Because once you're, just because you're found doesn't make you free. Just because you, you're saved, it makes you, accepting Jesus as your savior makes you saved fully, but it doesn't make you free. That's the ongoing process of our discipleship that we keep pushing for. And it happens best in the context of relationships. Freedom groups are a 12-week group. There's a start, there's an end, and it's a small group, and it's, uh, there's a curriculum involved. Uh, and it is, uh, I believe, it, it's our premiere. It's like the first step. If you want to find more freedom in your life, that's where you should start, freedom groups. Everyone in this church has a next step. You always have a next step. I hope you, every Sunday, I hope you come in asking, what's my next step, Lord? Because you've always got another next step. Freedom groups in particular, I believe, are a next step for everyone in this church at some point. I hope everyone in the whole church takes that next step at some point. Whatever your next step is, you got to find it. It's not going to smack you in the face. It's just going to sit in front of your nose. If you don't do the technology, stop over at the information table. We'll help you take your next step. But if you don't have people in your life, you're not going to find all that God has for you. Well, if you don't have godly people in your life, you won't find all that God has for you. Because God wants to work through some other people in your life, and he wants to work through you in someone else's life. The church matters. Something else that we're supposed to do in community, we're going to do it right now, and that's to take communion together. Would you grab your elements and go ahead and stand with me? We're going to do it just a little different today, standing up. Let's all stand up together. And you can, uh, there's a top level that gets out the bread, and, um, and then you can pull back the juice. If you didn't get communion elements when you walked in and you'd like to take communion, there's some people walking down the aisles, just kind of lift your hand up and be like, hey, lift it up real high, they'll get it to you. If you need, yeah, there's some on all, all the aisles there. Get your hand up if you need some communion. We'll get it to you. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians about communion that we usually read at communion time. It's pretty common. It goes, it goes the, the bit about uh, on the night he, Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. The next paragraph goes like this. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, each other, You're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. There is a a connection between healing and the church. It's just all over scripture. I keep finding it. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. See, when, when we take communion together, we're recognizing that we're part of the body. I'm looking at the body right now. This is the body of Christ. Like we're... We all got different parts in the body of Christ. We've all got different gifts in the body of Christ. When we take communion, 
we're recognizing that we are a part of the body. We're part of, a, we're part of this body. We're committing to, our, to, to be a part of the fellowship of other believers. When we take the elements, we're, we're, we're remembering the death of Jesus and proclaiming his death until, until he comes back. He's coming back again. When we take these elements, we're uh, recognizing the presence of God that, that can be here with us. And I believe just by taking, just by embracing and receiving the presence of God and the fellowship of other believers, according to that passage I just, I just read, it sure sounds like some of us could be healed in this process. So let me pray and then we'll take the elements. Lord, Thank you for your work on the cross. We recognize your work as, uh, and, and, and all that you've done. Lord, you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we are your body today, carrying out what you want us to do. And Lord, we recognize your blood that washed away our sins, that purified us and, and called us out of the tomb, made us, made us alive and forgives us, Lord. Thank you for your power and your strength. Lord, we receive you now. Let's take the bread. And likewise, the juice. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you today. Thank you, Lord.